0: How are you guys doing? Like John said, my name is Derek, and um, we're tying a bow on this series called Make Love, Not War. And not only are we tying a bow on this series, but we're kind of tying a bow on the last three months. We talked all the way through uh, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church in Corinth that's appropriately known as 1 Corinthians, because it's first letter to the Corinthians. And... um, we have been talking about a series called It's Complicated and Messy Relationships. And now here we are at Make Love, Not War. And and basically, we've been trekking all the way through Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. And we find ourselves today kind of in the concluding part of his letter in chapter 15. And what's interesting is that Paul comes back and revisits something that he began in the beginning of his letter that he really doesn't want the Corinthian church, church to miss. And I don't want us to miss it either. So, Uh, If you have your program, you find the outline on the back, or if you have your Bible, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. This is what Paul writes. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Let me say that again in case you missed it. This is his big thing. I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So Paul starts out his letter, for those of you who were there for our It's Complicated series in September, and he is just hammering and hammering and hammering in the first few chapters of his letter on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And man, we talked so much about that. He said, I want to remind you of this thing. It is so, so important, this gospel thing. Now, if you're here and you're like, Yeah, the gospel, like, what is that again? What what is the gospel exactly? Can we get a definition? Well, Paul lays it out for us in verses 3 and 4. This is what he says the gospel is. He says, For I received what I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. So what Paul says is the gospel is quite simply the fact that Jesus Christ, the good news, what Jesus has done for us, Jesus Christ has died for our sins. Now, if you're new to this whole thing, maybe this is your first time in church, or you're like, what what is this? Died for our sins? What's going on? Let me just try and explain it super, super quick. It's kind of like this, okay? God created all of us to be in a relationship with him, okay? We were designed to be in a relationship with God. But you see, God is perfect and holy in every way. God cannot stand sin or evil in any sense of the word. And so the, the, the issue for us is that we're human. We've all made mistakes. We've all blown it. We've all done things that we're not proud of. And none of us in this room would stand up and say that we're perfect. Or if you would stand up and say that, I wanna meet with you after the service because I just would love to shake your hand. Um, okay, not one of us probably would, would say that we're perfect. And no matter what we do, whether we package 100 thousand meals for the homeless on on December the 8th or, you know, whatever it is. We do the giving tree next week for the families at TJ. No matter what it is we do, no no matter how many good works we do, we still fall short of this glorious standard that God has of perfection. We are not worthy to eternally stand in the presence of a perfect, holy being. And so what God has done to kind of Address this problem is God said, you know, no no problem, no problem. You guys have all messed up, fallen short, we've all blown it. But here's the deal: God came to this earth as a person in the form of Jesus Christ, lived a life that none of us could live, and died on a cross, took on all the sins of the world, everything bad that's ever been done, and and that death served as a payment for all those things to satisfy God's need for justice. And so just by believing that Jesus did that for us, we are considered righteous in the eyes of God, not based on anything that we've done, but solely based on what Jesus Christ did for us, that he lived this life, died on a cross for us. And this is the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus died for us. And so that we could be righteous in the eyes of God and enjoy an eternal relationship with him just through faith in Christ. And so what Paul is saying here to the church is he's saying, listen, listen, if you forget everything else, if you lose sight of everything else, do not forget the gospel. It's of first importance. Now, why is he saying this? Well, the reason that he's saying this, just to catch you up or if you've forgotten, this church in Corinth is pretty messed up. They've got all kinds of issues. They're divided over who they followed. They follow Paul or Peter or Apollos. And there's all these arguments about who they follow. And there's all these arguments about who's more religious and whose spiritual gifts are more important than other people. And there's all these controversies that are going on in the church. And there's all these things that are dividing them. And so Paul has just been hammering on the gospel. And then he's been addressing, he's been giving them all these instructions. Here's what you need to do. And here's what you need to remember. And here's how you need to love each other. other. If you were here last week, you remember that agape love thing with the cups? If you didn't hear it, you got to go back and listen to that. So Paul's giving them all this stuff. Here's what it means to follow Jesus and be his church. And basically, I can imagine that those reading this letter at this point are overwhelmed. wow. There's all this stuff we got to do, and this is so hard, and this agape love, like, not based on your feelings, but just pouring into somebody else. I mean, that's so incredibly difficult. And Paul, here as he's concluding his letter, he says, exactly, yes, it's difficult, and that's why I want to remind you of the gospel that I preach to you. I want to remind you of the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, because here's the bottom line. The only way that we can do what God calls us to do the only way we can really follow Jesus and do the things that Jesus teaches us to do, like love and serve one another and to forgive our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, and this stuff that is incredibly difficult in our own strength and based on what we feel like doing, the only way that happens is if we are constantly reminded of the gospel, constantly reminded of what Jesus Christ has done for us. That's how it happens. When I was in my early 20s, uh, my parents, who, for all intents and purposes, I thought had just a tremendously strong marriage, uh, got separated and then divorced. And even though I was out of the home and um, very much a young adult living on my own, doing my own thing, I was devastated by this. And um, as the kind of information came out about what was going on, talking to my mom, talking to my dad, um, pretty quickly I, I decided that... You know, my, my dad was in the wrong for everything, and that he, uh, he was going to take the blame for this, and there was a lot of hurt and a lot of pain, uh, not just for me, but also uh, to other members of my family, and so I thought that the best thing that I could do as the oldest son kind of, you know, trying to protect my mom and also just kind of reacting to how I was feeling about everything was I was going to exact some justice, and the way I was going to do that was basically I was just going to cut my dad off totally, completely, um, we were very close, very, very tight relationship, and I said, "You know what? Not talking to him anymore. Just that's it. He's done this, and the way that justice will be served, he will lose his relationship with me." And I got to tell you, it felt good to do that. It really did. I felt like I was doing something. I felt like I was kind of righting some wrongs. And for the longest time, I just, I just thought that that was like a good move. You know, felt good. It was a just one problem with that. I had recently been dragged back into church after a very long hiatus away, and I was starting to explore things I hadn't thought about in a long time. You know, the, the reliability of the Bible and who is Jesus, and you know, is Christianity something that we can believe, or is it just this thing we make up to feel better about ourselves? Um, and so I, I was going through this whole process, and and through this process at a church very much like Grace Community Church, um, I was able to ask the questions I needed to ask and explore the things I needed to explore, and I came to believe. I came to believe based on just doing the things that Jesus said, and it just had a tremendous impact on my life, and then also just, I, I came to believe that these things actually happened. Jesus was who he said he was, and that I could put my faith in him. So, The moment that I did that, I started to experience a nagging conflict with what was going on with my dad. And um, I knew that what it means to really have faith in Jesus and to believe that he died for us and we have forgiveness through him, and it's totally by his grace, is that then we're expected to show that same grace to other people. The the love that Jesus has for us, we're expected to show that love to other people. And so I knew I was in conflict, but the thing is, it just felt so good Kind of where I was in terms of my stance with, with my father. Well, you ever know when God's trying to get your attention, and it starts out kind of with like a nagging, like a little prodding, and then it like is like hard, you know knocking, and then like the two by four across the side of the head, you know, starts coming. So I, I think God has a particularly interesting sense of humor about certain things, and um, so my dad was scheduled to come in on a business trip. He was living overseas, and he was coming right into the city where I lived on business, and I was not uh, planning to see him. Well, the week before he was supposed to visit, the sermon at church that Sunday was all about what? Forgiveness. God forgave us, and we're supposed to forgive other people. And I heard that, and I said, okay, God, I'll pray about that. Yep, that's probably something I should do in the next few years at some point down the road. And then, um, I had this Christian radio station that I enjoyed listening to, and that week leading up to when he was coming, that whole week they were doing this series on forgiveness. That was kind of annoying to me. And then, the clincher was, I was doing this daily Bible devotional thing, it was like our daily bread, or upper room, or I don't know, it was one of these little things you can find in in churches, And, um, and so... Wouldn't you know it, I open up, and the reading for that week leading up to when my dad is coming in town is all about God's forgiveness and what God calls us to do as Christians. Man, I was ticked about that. (laughs) Um, So based on that, I said, okay, God, I, I got it. Didn't feel like it at all. I was totally conflicted about it. But I said, you know what? I'm accepting this forgiveness. I'm accepting this grace. I'm accepting this thing that I don't deserve. I have to extend it. That's, that's what I felt like I had to do. <laughs> so I met with my dad and I forgave him. And long story short, it was arguably one of the greatest things I've ever done in my entire life. And uh, it led to tremendous healing and reconciliation. And um, I'm so glad that I listened to what God had to say. But here's the deal. There was nothing in me that wanted to do that. Nothing. There was no part of me. I think I even maybe admitted that to him, and I probably shouldn't have um, when I talked to him. It was only because of what God had done for me. That was the only reason that I could do it. This is really what Paul is trying to impart upon this church that is so divided, that is so conflicted. Paul's like, look, you guys you gotta stay together. You've got to look past your differences for the sake of the church and for the sake of Jesus Christ and for his light and his message being upheld. You guys have got to get over some of this stuff. You guys have got to start loving each other. You've got to start forgiving one another. But the only way you can do that is if you're constantly reminded of the gospel. That's the only way that this thing happens. It's only by remembering What God has done, that we're able to do what God calls us to do. Now, if you are here today and you're like, oh yeah, gospel, yeah, I I totally, I did that. I believe in Jesus, you know, in my Sunday school class when I was eight, or, you know, that was five years ago, I did that, uh, and that was really cool and you're kind of like, yeah, you know, I checked that box. I got that ticket, and I'm saved, and I no, I'm going to heaven, and it's a beautiful thing. Okay, I want to caution you because this is the trap I fall into so often. Okay, If you're like, yeah, yeah, gospel, got it. Check that box. I've moved on to other stuff. All right, No, 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 no. That's the trap. What Paul is saying here is I want to remind you of the gospel. Constantly keep it in your sights. The only way that we stay humble enough to serve other people is when we're humbled at the cross of Jesus Christ. The only way we stay filled up enough in our cup of agape love to fill anybody else is when we reflect on God's amazing love that he would come to this earth and die on a cross for our sins. That's the only way this works, you guys. And I got to tell you something. If you're here today and you just kind of feel tired, you're doing your best to be a Christian and the way that you understand that, and be religious and do certain things that you know you're supposed to do, because God would have you to do that. But you know what? You just feel tired. You're losing energy. You don't have a lot of motivation, a lot of passion to want to do these things. There's a very, very strong chance that the reason you're experiencing this spiritual fatigue is because you've lost sight of the thing that Paul is imploring us to remember. Remember? the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us. Lean in to that. That's not like the Christianity 101 and now you're at 501. That, that's everything. That's, that, that's, if you get nothing else out of this message, that's what I want you to hear. Our, our job is to constantly reflect on what Jesus has done for us. That's all we need to do what Jesus calls us to do. That's all we need. Now, you may be here and you're like, okay, Derek, you know, that's great this whole gospel thing and what Jesus has done, and boy, that sure had a big impact on your life. I can see that. And that was a huge deal for you and your father. And, and that's, that's a great thing, Derek, you know, and I'm, I'm happy that you can believe that. But see, here's the problem you might be thinking. Here's the problem. See, I would love to, to just fully lean into that, that gospel thing, but, but here's my problem. I'm just not so sure that I can believe it. I don't know that that I can really wrap my mind around that and and really believe with the conviction I need to be able to then live that out. Because you may be here and you're like, you know, because here's how I came to believe in Jesus. I was seven years old and my mom sang me this little song and it went, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that was great when I was a kid, you know, that, that worked for me. That was a great starting point for my faith. But as I've gotten older, you know, and, and some of my high school science classes and some of my college uh, English classes and some stuff that I've seen on the history and discovery channels and, and different things I've actually read about the Bible, I'm just not so sure that the Bible says so is kind of a, a good starting point for my faith. Because there's lots of stuff in the Bible that I'm not sure I understand or I fully agree with. There's, there's a lot of stuff in there, I mean... You know, Adam and Eve and the Noah and the flood and, you know, how, how did all that work in seven days or, you know, how, what's, what's going on there? How, you know, what does that look like? I, I'm just not so sure that if you say to me, Derek, well, here's how you can believe. This is the Bible says. It's just very simple. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. That, that's not going to work. Now, maybe you're here and, and that's you. Or maybe you do believe, but, but some of what I just said has kind of touched some things that have been nagging doubts that you have in your mind about how you can believe in Jesus. Well, if that's you today, I've got some very good news for you. Because you see, believing based on because the Bible says so, that's not only not maybe the basis for you to believe, but it actually wasn't the basis for the Christians in the early church to believe either. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to this church in Corinth somewhere around 55 AD, about 22 years after Jesus died. Do you realize when he wrote this letter, there was no New Testament of the Bible? <laughs> there was no Bible says, I mean, there was, there was an Old Testament that kind of pointed to some predictions about this Messiah that would come, and that was really what he's talking about in verses 3 and 4 when he says, according to the scriptures, it was these predictions, these prophecies of a Messiah who would come. But... The Bible says so. There was no New Testament of the Bible. Now, there were, there were some letters that were floating around that Paul had written. There were some different documents that were circulating. But when Paul writes this letter, the, the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those hadn't even been penned at this point, okay? The New Testament wouldn't be formed for several hundred years, officially, formally, a New Testament canon of the Bible. So here's the deal. All those early Christians that had tremendous faith and started all these churches all over the place, as Christianity just exploded, their basis for belief was not, well, the Bible says so. That's why we believe, because the Bible says. No. Their basis was based on something totally different, why they believed. And we're going to explore what Paul writes here. We don't have time to go through this whole. 15th chapter of this letter i encourage you to read this on your own because paul is just hammering on this point we're just going to get a few verses in because it's so deep but paul basically is saying okay so i'm passing on i'm reminding you of this gospel it's first importance jesus christ died he was buried he was raised on the third day and then here we go okay here was the basis for their faith and he appeared to cephas that's peter and then to the 12 the 12 being who 12 disciples, okay? So he appeared to the 12 disciples, and then Paul writes, After that, Jesus appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Some are no longer living. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. See, what Paul is saying here, don't miss this, the basis for belief of all those early Christians, tremendous faith and conviction, wasn't based on the Bible says. It was based on the fact that they had seen Jesus who had been crucified, killed. They'd seen him. He'd appeared to them. And either they had seen him firsthand, like literally with their own eyes, or they had a, a friend or a family member or somebody that they respected deeply who said, they no, I've actually seen him. He appeared to me. See, they didn't believe based on the Bible says, they believe based on an actual event, something that happened. Now, I want us to just forget the Bible for a minute, Okay. Because the reality is, if you're here, and maybe you're like I was many years ago, just totally skeptical about the Bible, and is it, you know, is really inspired or whatever, did they just make all this stuff up? Okay, so let's just throw that out. Let's just say, okay, they made all that stuff up, you can't trust the Bible, okay? Forget the Bible. Okay, let's just look at what we know from history, okay? Let's look at what we know outside the Bible, outside Christianity. Here we go. There is no reputable historian out there, none, who will debate that Jesus Christ lived. There was a man named Jesus of Nazareth, and he walked this earth 2,000 years ago. There are Roman historians like Cornelius Tacitus, Jewish historians like Josephus, Greek writers like Lucian of Samosata, and secular writers like Thallus and Phlegon. These guys didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They weren't Christians. But when they were writing about what was happening in that time period, they all attested to this man who lived named Jesus of Nazareth. And he had this following and he stirred up trouble. And one of them wrote that he did all these wond- wondrous works. Okay? Didn't believe that he was the Messiah. Maybe he was a prophet or, or something else. Even his enemies wrote about him, kind of scornfully attesting to this Jesus. And this was Lucian of Samasada and, and talked about how he got crucified and these Christians and how foolish were they to follow this, this one who was crucified. In fact, um, they were, the, the writers Thallus and Flagan, they, they wrote about Jesus and his crucifixion. They were actually trying to explain away the darkness that was recorded in the Bible that that happened after Jesus, when Jesus was up there and he he died, they were trying to explain that away, trying to say, oh, no, that wasn't like a God thing. That That was just some sort of an eclipse or something that happened. So what we see is all these people who didn't believe Jesus was anybody special all attest to the fact that Jesus of Nazareth lived and he was crucified for his claims that he made. The other thing that there is no debate on is that after Jesus died, this movement known as Christianity just exploded. Churches started popping up all over the region. And despite the Roman Empire's best efforts to stamp it out, it could not be stopped. And it just grew and grew and grew. And despite many people dying for their faith, it just continued to grow. And then eventually in 380 A.D., It became the official religion of the Roman Empire. That is how powerful it was. No one debates that either. This movement exploded. That's history. You can Google it. You don't need the Bible to tell you any of what I just said. There's no debate there. The debate all centers on exactly what in the world happened. After Jesus died. That's where the debate is. You see, what we know from looking at some of the journals of those disciples who followed Jesus, we look at what they wrote, and what we find is that when Jesus was arrested and he was crucified, the disciples freaked out. They lost it. In fact, the leader, Peter, He was so afraid. This is before Jesus is even crucified. He was so afraid after Jesus' arrest that there was this little middle school girl, and she said, aren't you one of his disciples? What are you talking about? I never knew the guy. He was terrified that what was about to happen to Jesus would happen to him. And we read in this account of, of Jesus' followers that they are huddling in a room after he's been crucified. They're huddling in a room, scared to death to come out. They've freaked. They've lost it. This one that they thought was the Messiah, he's dead. And they think they're next. So, the next thing you know, these guys who were huddled in a room, terrified out of their mind that they were going to die, you know where they are? They're out in the main streets of Jerusalem in front of the most powerful leaders and authorities. Of Judaism and of the Roman Empire. People with the power to kill them in a heartbeat. And they're standing up. Peter, the guy who just days earlier wouldn't even say, admit that he knew Jesus to this middle school girl, now is standing in the streets before the most powerful people in the land saying, You know what? This Jesus that you killed, he's alive. We saw him. Guess what? He's the Son of God, and you need to repent and come to believe in Him. That's incredible. Do you you understand how unbelievable that is, that shift from being terrified, huddled in a room, afraid to come out, to standing in the streets, just declaring to the world? Now, one way that that might have happened is... Those disciples were huddled in the room and uh, they realized not only were they, were they scared that something was going to happen to them, but they kind of realized, you know, we've devoted like years of our life to following Jesus. And it was so cool. I mean, you remember all the miracles and the things that he did and, you know, everyone knew us and recognized us. We were kind of like rock stars, you know, and, and now, I mean, we just look like a bunch of fools. He's dead. He's telling everyone he was the Messiah, but He's dead. Guys, we got to do something. We got to save face. Here's an idea. Peter says to John and James and Andrew, hey, you guys, here's what you need to do, okay? Go and, and take out those, the, the Roman guards who are guarding Jesus' tomb. Take them out. Roll the stone away. Okay, Steal the body. Hide that somewhere. Yeah, hide that somewhere. And then here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to tell everybody that Jesus actually, he, he rose from the dead, He's not dead. He is the Messiah. Yeah, let's, let's do that. That's, that's a great idea. And you know what'll happen? Then everyone will be so excited, and everyone will come back and follow us, and we can start churches all over the place. And you know, we can have a great following, and it'll be awesome, and we'll be, you know, restored. Because right now we look like a bunch of fools. Let's go do that. There's only one little problem with that. When they went out into the streets to Proclaim this message. If they just made it up, well, it's kind of cool if you know you can rally a bunch of people and then you go do a church and then you tell convince everybody it's a big lie and then you know everybody's giving you money and you're big powerful and that, that's great. But what happens when you stand up in the street and you start saying this and all of a sudden one of Caesar's main right hand right hand men goes, Caesar's Lord, not Jesus. Okay, we all know we worship Caesar. He's the head of this empire and you say one more word and you're dead, okay? At that point, if I made it up, if I knowingly know this was a lie, I've kind of gone as far as I want to go. There's there's no need to take it all the way to me getting hung on a cross. So at that point, the game's up. Well, what's fascinating is if you look at what happened to Jesus' disciples, and I've got a slide up there for you guys. This this, uh, information we've cobbled together from early church writings, what happened to some of Jesus' disciples. Look at Matthew, killed by a sword. Luke was hanged. Peter, crucified upside down. Andrew and Philip were crucified. Thomas, you remember doubting Thomas? He wanted to put put his hands into Jesus' uh, wrists to, to feel those nail holes. He was killed by spears. Something happened, made him stop doubting. James was stoned. See, all these guys, when they stood before someone who said, listen, you've got to stop doing this. You are absolutely throwing the synagogue into a state of chaos, okay? You're upsetting the apple cart here. You have offended Caesar and he wants blood. Shut up, get out of town, or we're going to kill you right now. Not one of Jesus' followers was willing to shut up. They just kept saying, we cannot stop talking about what we have seen and heard. Why would you die for a lie if you knew it was a lie? If you knew it was a lie, you knew you made it up. It was your lie. Why would you die for that? You see, the reason that these early followers of Jesus The reason that they believed that Jesus was the Son of God, died on a cross for their sins, rose again, wasn't because the Bible says so. There was no Bible. They believed because they had seen the risen Jesus. And they refused to stop talking about it, even to the point of death, because death didn't have any power on them. They knew exactly where they were going. Hey, our Savior just Just rose from the dead. He's he's going to heaven. So are we. Kill me. Great. Beautiful. Bring it on. They were convinced. And I just want to say, if you're here this morning, maybe this has been a huge struggle for you in your life because you feel like the way that you're supposed to believe in Christianity, the way that you can believe, yeah, Jesus was who he really said he was, is you just have to believe, well, the Bible says it. It's right in here. I just, just have to believe and take it on faith. I don't know if this really... This book really came from God or it was just made up by a bunch of people? I've got absolutely fantastic news. That's not why those early Christians that arguably had way more faith than we do were able to come to believe in Jesus. So you may have tons of questions that are still bouncing around in your head about God and about faith. Based on things that have happened to you, or about the Bible, things that you've read, or stuff that you've heard. And I gotta tell you, those questions are all important and they all need to be wrestled with. But those questions pale in comparison to the ultimate question that demands an answer. And it's simply this Who is Jesus? Forget all the other questions for a minute. Who's Jesus? Is he who he said he was? Wrestling that question to the ground is the most important thing. And what you'll find is, this is what's happened to me, that once you figure out the answer to that question, many, many other questions start to come clear. doesn't just eliminate everything, okay? But it, it sheds tremendous light on so many other things. So, the deal is this. Jesus calls us to a tremendously high standard. That's what Paul's been charging the church in Corinth to do. To love and to serve and to forgive and to die to ourselves and to put others before us for his sake. The only way this happens is when we're reminded of what Jesus has done for us. And it's better than just because the Bible says so. This is something you can stake your belief on based on actual events that took place in history. God has given us a roadmap to being able to come to believe this. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9 30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.